Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Osiris. And there it is. It is Friday. School is out for some of, for some of us. For some of us. This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. My name is Brian. I'm here with Megan. Currently, my technology is stable, and we think that we can have a full, lengthy, engaged conversation about music and about fish. But just a fair warning to all of you out there, if this episode is three minutes long, it is because uh, Xfinity is a shit fuck shit company. And um, <laughs> so I got to say, but for right now, I'm just going to keep going because it's it's all working. We are here today. We have reached 2002. My Crazy. God. Crazy. Almost 20 years ago. We've almost reached 20 years of fish. However, we are not talking about fish. We are talking about fish adjacent music because fish was on hiatus until the end of this year. We're going to get into that because this this show that we are discussing happened after Fish announced that they were coming back, which is really interesting to think about. We're going to be talking about the Jazz Mandolin Project, John Fishman's, not his side project, but a band that he would play with a lot throughout the late 90s, early 2000s. We're going to be talking about their show from August 30th, 2002 in Turin, New York at Modown, which is... Um, quite a relic of early aughts jam band uh, existence. But I'm really excited to get into this. This was a show that was recommended to us um, by our good friend, co-host, colleague, in-house curmudgeon, Jonathan Hart. <laughs> and it was a sick, sick, sick show. But um, before we dive into all that, we've got so much to talk about. We're going to talk a little Trey Trio as well. Megan, how are you doing here today? I'm so good. It's the first day of summer vacation for me. I don't have to work for like a long time. Can I ask, you took some time off before you went back to teaching. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do I have your timeline right? You did. Um, when you went back to teaching, is the sentiment still the same? Like it's May, early June, and you're like looking ahead at the last day of school, like, do you still view it the way that you would as like an eight, nine, 10 year old? I mean, hell, 23 year old in college. Like, is it, does that never lose its luster? Yeah. It's just that feeling of like school's out for the summer, right? You want to just like play that song and like jump in like the dazed and confused car and like (laughs) smoke a joint. Like it's fucking over, you know, it's great. It's the best feeling. It feels like, I mean, it feels really good today, but when it's really going to hit is like Monday when mm. my alarm doesn't go off or like that first day that I don't know what day of the week it is. 
that's like well, that's when I'm one. like, oh, I'm on vacation. Like, I don't, is it, is it Wednesday? <laughs> is it Thursday? Is it Friday? That's the best. That's when, that's when I know it is. So I'm super excited. I have so much I want to do this summer. And I'm also like trying to make a commitment to myself to rest. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not good at that, but maybe you can keep me accountable. Who is? I know. I don't know. Cause it, it's funny. Cause like when my son is approaching the end of school, I'm like, God, damn it, all the structure is about to be gone. Yeah, it's like the But I can only imagine as, as a teacher, parents you're of like, small kids. get me out of here. Um, I know, all the all the parents are like, bye, see you later. Like, fuck, Can you please help us this time. summer? Like, yeah. we really, really need your help. Yeah, I haven't heard anything from my son's first grade teacher. It's been like three weeks. I'm just like, what is he doing? He's probably at some Elvis convention, uh, which is... <laughs> A whole different story, but um, congratulations. You made it another year. I'm very, very excited Thanks. for you. Um, so we've reached 2002. We're going to talk a bit about where the band was at at this point in time. We're going to talk a bit about um, Jazz Mandolin Project. We're going to talk about this excellent, excellent show, a show that I just, I cannot recommend enough people listen to. It was one of the most pleasurable hour and a half of my 2023 i want to say from like a listening yeah. standpoint it just like it filled my ears and my soul with so much i cannot wait to dive into it but i totally agree that, and i just have to say it was unexpected i was not expecting completely. what it, i mean i hadn't listened to jasmine limb project before and i was not expecting this it was thrilling i was the same because um and we had a comment here this was jamie mansfield's band that jamie mm -hmm. mansfield was the is a mandolin player uh lead lead of of Jazz mandolin project um I'm far from an expert because at the time that Fishman was playing with Jazz Mandolin Project, I'll admit I was kind of just like, just get me fish back. And and I was I was listening to Tab. I listened to Vita Blue. I really liked Vita Blue. Um, but I wasn't really exploring beyond Tab or Vita Blue, which, you know, I was just I was listening to a lot of fish. I was just like, please just get me this band back. And so when we got to 2002, I was very loudly suggesting Trey Summer 2002, which is one of my favorite all-time tours of any member of Fish ever. And um Jonathan kept saying, "No, we're doing Jazz Mandolin Project because Jazz Mandolin Project is so so sick." And when we got to the show, I was just like, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to go in with a completely open mind. And it absolutely blew, blew me away. So it sounds like you had a very similar experience, Meg. All right. It looks as though <clears throat> the technical issues I was referring to at the start of this episode are happening, which is awesome. I'm going to try right now to plow ahead and see if uh, we can make this work before cutting bait on this episode. We are going to talk about uh, Trey Trio, which played here in Denver over um, last weekend, and I attended two of the three concerts. Um, I'm going to dive into just kind of thoughts on these shows here, kind of what my thoughts were on, you know, the band, the, 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 the overall lineup, the songs that were played, all that sort of stuff. Um, night one, June 9th, last Friday, I did not attend. Um, I did not have, uh, I did not know what was going to happen with these shows. I went in completely blind. Um, but, uh, Night one, I, I was at home watching the Nuggets, having some friends over for a barbecue, um, and I listened to the shows the morning after. Um, this show got some bad press, let's just say. Uh, I think some people were significantly disappointed. I listened to it in the morning of June 10th, and I kind of walked away feeling like, Okay, Trey went after something that I don't think people were expecting. I think there was a lot of anticipation and hype that this was going to be like the JFAT Fall 2021 Tour Part 2, where it was just going to be big, massive, crazy jams. And it was not really that. It was um, a lot of new songs. Hey! Hey! Back. I don't know what's going on. 
Was that you or is that me? I, That's hilarious. I don't know. How could it? I have never. Anyway, yeah. Keep going. I'm back. Hi. You're back. All right. I, I'm diving into Trey Trio. Um, so it. night one, um, I was just outlining that um, there was some bad press around this show. I listened to it the morning after. Um, I felt as though uh, I went in with kind of unrealistic expectations that this was going to be JFAT 2021 part two. <laughs> yeah. And it turned out to be a lot of new songs and a lot of songs that just didn't have a home. Um, songs that like Air Said to Me or What's Done were written back in 2005, 2006, but are not played by Tab, are not played by Fish. Obviously, we're not Ghost of the Forest songs. And Trey was cry- trying to figure out in a sense like, what do we got from these? You know, do these songs have any new life to them? Um, ultimately, my thought on night one is it is the first night of a new band playing. All of the nerves, all of the, hey, we have no idea what this thing actually is. Um, Trey's clearly written along with Tom some very, very personal songs. Um, I I am a huge fan of the recent output from Trey. I think that everything going back to Ghost of the Forest is some of the best Trey songwriting I've ever heard. Um, I understand that may not be the most popular opinion, but to me, Lonely Trip defined the pandemic in a brilliant way and showed a lot of depth and creativity. Ghost of the Forest really showcased a lot of vulnerability on his end and showcased an ability for him to really tap into um, an emotion that a lot of us will feel if we haven't already, but will feel at some point in our lives and communicated that really well. I thought Mercy was beautiful. I thought his work with Paige, especially on January, was really good. So I was really excited to hear a lot of these new songs in this place. Um, I thought that flow-wise, Friday night was a little uneven. Um, There were some moments where you got really, really good performances out of songs like And Flew Away, The Greater Good, uh, Oblivion, Plasma, The Well. But then there were some moments like um, Where They'll Find Us, uh, monsters, what's done where it just, it, it didn't totally work as well for me, but I'm curious, what were your thoughts about Friday overall? Yeah. It felt like this very like mellow kind of easing in feeling. And it really reminded yeah. me of, of how like there was an interview with Rick from goose that I read that he was saying that during the tab tour, he told Trey, he felt like he was easing in at first. And Trey's like, I don't really do that. And I thought, <laughs> you know, here he is doing that, you know, and it's kind of easing in. And you realize when you're playing tons of new songs or at least, you know, in Trey's my newer catalog stuff, like in the last few years. And like you said, trying to find a flow, trying to find where they go. This group hasn't played together before, or like, you know, in different, I guess in little, they did in JFAT, but with a little few other people, but they're just had that kind of like, yeah, getting the gears going feeling. I thought also that the technical stuff that happened during at the end of the first set totally really seemed like it frustrated him. Like totally when Trey's like swearing that much on stage and just, you know, he seemed really pissed off about having to end that song. He spent so much time introducing it and like, you know, like kind of like laying it out for everybody. And then to have to not be able to play that, it just, that sucked. And that song, you know, is adapted from forward people from one of the songs that he put out during the pandemic. And he was so excited about the journey of that song. And then to have that happen, it sucks. So I feel like whenever you're putting yourself out there and it's not going perfect, it can, it can be kind of a mind fuck. But I really thought that Plasma and the second set was like not long, but had this really nice groove to it. I feel like that was one of those first moments that I was like, this is what this trio is going to just really excel at, which is the groove. And I feel like they like when when Desron and Fishman like lock in, it's just holy shit. Like that is just magic. I am obsessed with Desron Douglas. I think he's an unbelievable melodic bass player that I just he's so easy and clear to hear in this trio too. I love hearing him like isolated more like outside of tab where you can really like lock into him. Awesome. So I thought I liked the well. I didn't like the end when I thought it started to sound like sci-fi soldier. I was mm-hmm. I was like, oh no, don't start yelling random shit, please. But uh, but no, I thought I don't know. I I agree. I thought that like Undermine had some really good moments. Like, oh wait, is that the next night? That's the next That's night. Right? You're getting ahead, yeah. you're getting ahead of yourself. Ahead you're of so myself. excited. You're so I'm so excited because I want to talk about Saturday night, but I want to hear about what you thought about Saturday. Yeah. At, well, and I, I just, I just, uh, to close on Friday, I think the, the biggest thing that I loved about it was like the sound of the trio 
was very, very clear from like, and flew away is, you know, it's about 12 minutes on tape. Um, the fact that you just remove keyboards and, you know, this is not an advocacy for Paige McConnell to no longer be a part of fish. (laughs) Um, (laughs) my God. Um, the fact that you remove keyboards and you suddenly hear all three drums, bass, guitar, so much louder and so much more prominent, especially bass. Like Jezron's yeah. bass was so much louder than I've heard Mike since maybe 1999. Yeah. Um, it just, it added a very different sound. And it, I think, I wonder if there was an intimidation factor of just like how much each of them were going to like nakedly be on stage and have to yeah. really, you know, showcase themselves. And I think also you talk about like the, the tech, the tech stuff um, at the end of Perseid. I almost wonder if that was something that Trey was dealing with throughout the, um, mm. uh, the set, because I feel like I haven't listened back since the first time I heard it. Um, I feel like I heard at some point Trey calling to his guitar tech uh, middle of the set to be like, Hey, like this is not an issue. And I've got to imagine that Trey yelled shit, fuck shit a couple of times, um, which is <laughs> yeah. the, the common language for, for when technology fails, when you're trying to be creative. Um, That's it. So go, going into Saturday. Um, so I had one of my very, very, very best friends stay with me last week. We went to King Gizzard together and we went to Saturday, um, uh, Trey trio. And then another one of our very, very best friends happened to be in Colorado. So we went to Sunday night Trey trio together and we were talking before Saturday. It was, it was a great reunion. It was like a mini Dick's reunion. Um, as we're going into Saturday, I think both of us have pretty fair takes on, you know, approaching something like this where we were like, okay, this is not what we were expecting, but let's adjust our expectations and kind of go into this being like, we're going to hear a bunch of new stuff. I kind of figured I was going to get a, we were going to get repeats at some point. I think one thing that really struck me and you hear it with like the moments where the sets didn't totally flow is that Trey literally wanted to play 35 songs, 40 songs, and a lot of them new songs or rare songs. And so that's going to always mess with the flow no matter what. And that's just like, that's the way it goes. Um, But we went into Saturday, we got to the mission ballroom about four o'clock, three hours before doors to get in line because we have a spot that we wanted to be in. We all wanted seats, but we wanted to be on the balcony rail um there were twitter celebrities there some of them very angry about friday night others of them um very excited just to see trey uh a lot of conversations about okay what what are expectations for tonight there was there was good energy good vibes it was a very nice evening on friday or on saturday night we got in right after doors took our seats Trey took the stage about 20 minutes after set time about 8 20 which was nice to just not have to wait that full half hour um, set one of Saturday was my favorite set of the weekend and my favorite set that I saw, um, overall, if I could see the world, uh, the endless dream on pillow jets and 46 days were my big highlights. Um, the former songs all being fairly rare or new songs, um, and it, it getting really cool extended jams, um, the latter 46 days being one of the most incredible versions of that song I've ever heard. Um, I lost my mind during it. Just, it, <laughs> it just, it just went off completely off the deep end, came back and then went off again. I started taking a video at one point to send to two of my buddies cause they were not webcasting this to be like, okay, tonight is the night. Yeah. And you know, you can send a two minute video. And so at two minutes when I went to shut it off when they're like, wrapping up 46 days trey just goes off into a completely new psych blues riff and it lasts another four minutes like i have like a six or seven minute video now on my phone <laughs> i don't know what to do with other than just watch it over and over again it was unbelievable um i loved the first set i loved the flow i loved the energy it felt to me like one of those just like special nights in the room um with him what were your thoughts on listening to it yeah, I really like this too. I really love the second set, but I like the first set too. I thought Undermine, like the interplay between Trey and Desron was so good. And then like Fishman doing these breakdowns at the end. And it's like one of those moments when you can actually hear Trey smiling. You know, yeah. when you do that, you listen and you're like, Trey, I can tell Trey's like loving this. It was so great. Um, and then I just love Mercy so much. That song Same. 
oh my God, honestly, like it's one of those moments when I'm like, thank God we have Trey and it's like 4.0 and Trey's having these like this ability to tap into like really intimate feelings and talk about this kind of stuff. Like that song is, I think, just tremendous and it's placed perfectly. I loved on Pillow Jets. It's like that hard rock groove. Trey's tone, Miss Solo is just out of this world. It's such good rock and roll. Ryan Storm sent me a video of you dancing during this song and it just made my night. I was like, fuck yeah, Brian is having a great time. This is awesome. I lost it. It was so great. I just loved like that room looks so awesome too. I've always wanted to go to the Mission Ballroom. It looks like just such a fun space to be in. And yeah, the 46 days, that rock and roll jam is just, you know, it's just fun. It was really like rocky, which is cool. Like I really like listening to Trey like play rock music. You know, it's kind of like when you take the kind of weird proggy, nerdy stuff out of Fish that he's not playing with the trio. It's cool just to hear them as like a rock band, you know? Yeah. And that was like the interesting thing. Like we have a good question here from our buddy, Brian Weinstein. I was 46 days without piano or organ. And like the whole weekend, it, as I was saying, like for Friday, it was noticeable that there was no piano. And mm-hmm. the so like I would say all the Fish songs to me – felt like they were missing something. It was, it was the same way as like when a fish song is played with tab, it sounds different than a fish yeah. song. It's like you're used to it. Like Wolfman's brother on night three starts with Trey playing the chords rather than page. That's a their page thing. The organ swells in 46 days, but what it ultimately does is it forced Trey to play those melodies, but it also put, put them in a position where, uh, they're allowing space where there just isn't space in these songs and it becomes a rock song. It's, it's not as, it's not as weird and proggy. It more just like, it just like gets in your face and like fucks with you and like messes with you. And like, it's really badass. There were a lot of moments where Trey just looked, he had a look about himself that felt arrogant. It felt incredibly confident. It felt kind of like he was being an asshole in a way that yeah, Trey like can that, be, Trey. that I like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like you watch like, like yeah. YouTube videos of like 1997 Trey and he like, yeah. part of what makes those so good is that the humility is gone. Trey is almost yeah. like, I am the greatest guitarist on the planet and you're not. And I'm going to prove to you right now <laughs> why I am. And this felt like that. Like, and, and it was a cool right. contrast where he's playing songs like mercy or on pillow jets or machine a song I didn't love, but like, you know, it's, it's a new song he's throwing out there. All these songs that are so uh, vulnerable and so filled with emotion. And then when he gets to the jam, he's just like, we're not messing around anymore. Like I came here for blood and I'm going to take it from every single one of you. Um, Set two had that and outside the lines. Great, great debut. I bet that is a jam yeah. vehicle for Fish I'm this so year. So into that song. I really like it. Oh, the it. groove, like the yeah. way the chorus just kind of bobs along. It's almost like they've like slowed down Golden Age and written that themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Ruby Waves, always huge. Uh, Moba Dance, Twist, great way to cap off the set. Uh, great jamming in there. About to run with the trio. Oh, really, really yes. killer. Um, and then Wave of Hope Encore. Which when they first started playing it, I was it was the only moment of the show where I was like, man, Wave of Hope is such a killer song right now. Why are we wasting on an encore? And then Trey just goes, shut up, shut up. Like I hear you <laughs> over in the balcony, shut up. I'm going to ruin I'm I'm going to like just mess with you completely right now. And it was one of the best Wave of Hopes that I've personally seen live. It was unbelievable. Oh my God, that Wave of Hope, like it just is like scenery chewing like absolute monster thrashing like it's so good the one thing that is a little hard about it is the beginning like trey's voice he definitely sounded like he's been sick or he's like fighting something and like you can even hear that in the moma sound check which we should talk about too but um it's he's like i'm gonna save my voice for the show like he like sings that during the moma sound check and his voice definitely sounds a little ragged but it kind of almost reminded me of like and this is like this might be like a hot take that might piss people off and I don't, I'm not comparing these two, but I'm just saying it sounds a little bit like when you hear him in like 
2004 or something when his voice sounds kind of ragged, but then he just fucking Whoa, you're going there. open the jail. Oh, you're going yeah. there. I'm not trying to compare it. I'm just saying like vocally. And then it's just the jam opens and it just like destroys. So I feel like there's kind of like that rawness to the night that yeah. I thought was really, really great. And I loved this set. I thought this set as a piece was tremendous. Like the flow is so good. There's the perfect placement of like new songs in between like really great songs. And I wasn't looking at the set list when I was listening to it. And so Ruby Waves comes on, you've got the like big rolling drums, Desron just like laying it down, Trey doing all these like stabs. Machine is kind of weird. It's like classic rock opera, like kind of weird. But then About to Run came on and I was like, yes, like this is exactly where you place this. And then of course, MoMA. I want to like formally request that every time I see Desron Douglas perform, he plays MoMA dance because you know, I'm an aficionado about Moma Dance. It's my favorite. And he just absolutely destroys. And this sound check, if people haven't listened to it, is a must. It's so good and funky and just rich. Like Desron on this song is just so perfect. Yeah. I really like the twist too. It's really good. Really good twist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I feel like at at various points, all three of them were the MVPs, but I, I kept having mm-hmm. this thought throughout the run of, um, you know, Desron is still kind of the new guy, but he has a whole career to himself, you know, playing in jazz bands in New York City, and he's put out some of my favorite records of the last couple of years, Force Majeure from 2020 is that was a top 20 album for me. I encourage anyone to go and check that out with um, his wife, um, Brandy Younger, um, his solo oh, album that came that. out. In, I've never heard oh that. Oh my God. You'll love it. It's It was all live jazz streams through the pandemic. Um, so you hear a little bit of like the discourse as stuff, you know, shit's happening in the world. They're talking about it like in the moment and then they're playing jazz from their apartment. It was unbelievable. Wow. His, his record that came out last year um, charted pretty high for me. Um, but I I felt like this was his coming out party. This was, there's no horns. There's no other musicians. It is Desron has turned up loud. His personality clearly went over the room. I was with a bunch of people who were not super familiar with Desron who walked out being like, Oh my God, I will see any show that that man is playing. Just a really cool moment. Um, Heading into night three, I mean, I was on a high. I, I felt um, I, I said a lot of hyperbole to the people that I texted. <laughs> I meant all of it. I still mean all of it. That would have been like a top ten to twenty fish show for me. It was just wow, that's it amazing. Those, it was just like the 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 entire feeling of that show and listening back to it. It just it felt like something really exciting happened. It felt like Trey tapped into it. He just had that all night. Um, coming into night three, got in line early again. It was really cold out. I think with regards to Trey's voice, we are dealing with the wettest spring here in Colorado than we've had in like 170 years or something crazy like that. Wow. It's currently still raining outside. It's like 62 degrees. Um, I have a cold right now. Like I think that we just are living in this endless spring here in Colorado right now, which is really nice, but I think it's affecting musicians as they come in. Um, so I was standing outside in the cold with a couple friends waiting out, getting in line, got great seats again. Um, the Sunday night show, I really enjoyed it. I don't think it was as hot as Saturday. It had some really cool moments though. Um, shaking someone's outstretched hand debuted, had a really cool jam. Hey, stranger, this like, I'll be honest. I thought this song was annoying on Mercy. I did not <laughs> like it. I hated the groove. It sounded really schmaltzy to me. But you put it on electric guitar with Desron and you jam it for 15 minutes and I'm sold. I'm in. I got no complaints. I loved it. <laughs> um, Slow Llama was great. No Men had just like a fiery jam to it. Really glad to get Roll Like a River. Um, and then the set ended – Oh, it's beautiful, right? So oh, pretty. That's like gorgeous. a classic song. It's like it's been around forever, it sounds like. It's so pretty. And I thought it was fascinating that we got all these songs that were written on an acoustic guitar in a cabin with an electric trio. It was just it was an interesting yeah. side to it. Um but Evolve and uh Silverlight um towards the back in the set one were two huge, huge highlights for me. Silverlight's one of my favorite songs off of Lonely Trip and Evolve mm-hmm. is Maybe my favorite song off a lonely trip. I absolutely love 
that that groove. I love the lyrics, and both of them were really good. Um, Stealing Time continues to be the most confounding fish song ever. I have no idea how we don't have multiple 20 to 25 minute versions of it. Right. It's built for it. It was the modern down with disease. We're here with a Trey Trio where everything is jamming a little bit in really cool ways. You have this riff in Stealing Time that could be expanded upon. Nothing. I don't. I don't get it. I have no idea. It's, it's like the one. It is the the blue ball of fish songs. Um, what were your thoughts on this first this first set? Yeah, shaking someone's outstretched hands. I love the lyrics of this song. Way to go, Trey and Tom. It's it's so good. I can so hear fish just absolutely killing this song. I'm really excited to hear fish play it. I love Slow Llama with Desron. Yes, and Silver Light. It's incredible. You know, I. I guess I haven't I haven't listened to Lonely Trip like a lot. I've listened to it a lot when it first came out, but I haven't listened to it a while since then. And mm. I forgot what a great groove this song has. Like it's just it just glides along really effortlessly. And Desron just again delivers so great. I never liked stealing time until the pandemic. And then mm. I felt like I finally understood all the lyrics to that song. I was like, oh my God, this song makes sense to me. But yeah, I mean, I thought this was a pretty good set. I don't think it had the same flow as the night before, but um, but I thought it was pretty good. And I have listened to this show in a much different way than I listened to the other two. This show was like listening to it in bits and pieces over my last few days, which I think is really hard to get a sense of kind of the full piece of the show. Yeah, I get that. And this show... It doesn't have the flow that Saturday does. And so like you listen to it in little chunks and I felt like that's kind of how it was. There were little like vignette moments throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, set two especially, like coming out, opening up with Jabu, felt like a very classic tab type of moment. And it felt yeah. like something out of like 99, 2001 where um, God of Jabu was just like this big, big song for the band. Um, loved that version. But then Broken Into Pieces, Flying Blind were kind of okay, like, I felt like we just had a lot of like stop start in the second set, but we had some huge highlights in Wolfman's brother. Oh, absolutely yes. torrential. I mean, this was Trey being front row at King Gizzard and, and getting that Gaia <laughs> opener. Like this was him being like, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm, I'm going for it. Um, awesome. Awesome version. Getting splinters of hail. in It's debut. I mean, wow. Party time. Oh my God. This is a song I've always wanted to hear Fish play. I would love for this to stick around. Um, I am a Ocelot stan. Ocelot yeah. is one of my favorite, favorite 3.0 songs. And to hear it get really nasty, really growly was great. Um, Lonely Trip was beautiful. Everything's Right was a stunning, stunning jam. And then uh, I got my second Korean encore. And it, while it was not San Francisco 2021, no. nothing is. Uh, it was still it was still great. It was a great way to close out the weekend. Yeah, still really good. And this Wolfman's like, talk about monster rhythm section. Like it just sounded like monsters on parade. Like Desron, Jesus, and Fishman, they were just like lockstep, just like absolutely destroying it. I, I thought this was incredible. And I think like this song Valdez is really pretty. I yeah. I love how the experience of like listening to a new song and like you can't look it up on fish.net. There's no like history. There's no like lyrics yet. You actually just have to like experience music the way we used to. You know, when you when you were young and you just listen to a song and you kind of like take it in and think about it and like have to figure out what it says. Like it's just, it's a new experience and I love that. So I thought that was really fun to have that during these shows, like just getting these new songs. And I feel like anytime there's a lot of new music, there's going to be some inspiration behind it. And I feel like it's a good, it's good for Trey to be playing all this new stuff. And yeah, I thought everything's right. Just bass bombs, just like wild shredding. Just, I bet that sounded unbelievable in the room. Like I bet that was so fun. I, I felt like I could feel Desron's bass just like through yeah. my gut. It was all like, there was so <laughs> many, so many moments and and the place just went crazy. The mission ballroom was really cool. It's, it's, just under 4,000, but like the way it's built feels like you're in a small arena. So everything Mm -hmm. just feels and sounds bigger. Um, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately like you, you just said it, it was a cool space for Trey to debut all these songs and give them a shot that they just may not get. A lot of these songs will probably never be played on fish tour. Some Mm -hmm. of them may never be played on 
Tab Tour, some of them may be played on Classic Tab. Um, I'm guessing if this band tours again, they have a whole host of songs to go forward with. But it seemed like a cool spot for Trey to say, I got a bunch of new material. I got a bunch of old material that hasn't been played. Here's an avenue to to that's like low pressure to to usher this in. And while it may not have worked out as well on Friday night, I thought mm-hmm. on Saturday and Sunday it worked out incredibly well. Um, so big time approval for me. I loved these these shows. Um, I'll be going back and listening. I made like a highlights playlist, and it's like thirty songs. But you know, it's like. Six hours of music. It's pretty unbelievable stuff. Um, a classic Brian Brinkman playlist. I tried. It's. It's. I think it's tight. I think it's pretty tight. Um, but yes, it's. I can't it's wait to listen six to hours. it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I just got tickets to see Classic Tab after hearing these shows. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you got it. Um, yeah. Any last thoughts about these before we jump back in time to 2002? I just hope Trey continues to feel this inspired when he's playing the summer for fish. I hope he continues to bust out new songs. And, you know, I think that it just bodes well when he's playing new music. I always feel like it's good. It's a good sign. I'm right there with you. I felt that there were multiple moments where I was like, we're in, we've already had that second night of Mexico was one of my favorite shows of the year. My, one of my favorite jams of the year out of the Ruby Waves. The whole spring tour was unbelievable. Yeah. Now this Trey Trio tour, our Trey Trio run, and upcoming summer tour, I feel like we're in a really good spot. 40th anniversary, MSG residency, Dicks, who knows what else, um, but it, it feels like we're in a really good place. And I, I, I like that Trey introduced us to these new batch of material this way. Um, all right. For everyone out there who is listening – We're going to take a quick set break before jumping into Jazz Mandolin Project. And we're back. So, Meg, you need to tell me, who were you in 2002? 2002, it's kind of funny. I was... I was waitressing in New York City. I was trying to be an actress. So I was working at a restaurant in Midtown next to MoMA called Remy that was featured in an episode of Sex in the City. Um, I was not featured, but the, sh- the, the restaurant was. It was like an upscale Italian eatery where the waiters wore like blue and white striped button-down shirts, you know? And I had a ton of fun. We would drink leftover bottles of wine and laugh in the back. And, you know, we were all actors and dancers and artists and we would just, we had the best time. I would waitress lunches um, so I could act in plays at night. And I was acting mm. in a lot of like really mostly shitty, sometimes inspiring plays in downtown, um, like off, off Broadway, um, down in like the Lower East Side. So like a lot of like kind of crappy theaters where like the bathroom might work in, in the green room or, you know, backstage, like might have a mouse running around, but, um, but it was all really fun. And I was in a theater company called Inverse Theater, which was, we did, um, plays they're modern plays but they're written in iambic pentameter so we would Mm. be performing and singing and dancing in those and it was it was a blast it was a lot of fun what a time that is amazing yeah it was really fun i was really poor and i lived in a really really crappy apartment in astoria queens where i like regularly fought cockroaches um, (laughs) and had like battles with them like one time we had like the exterminator come and I didn't realize like I was gone. Hey you, do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020 where myself, Benny Goodman and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at Tuesday. 020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. 
Hey listeners, I want to tell you about one of our great partners, DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. We may have lost Meg briefly, so I will I will dive in. We'll pick up her story once she uh, gets back into the uh, um, the episode. But I'll just share. I, I was going into my senior year uh, in high school at this point in time, um, and I was just listening to a ton of Fish and some other jam bands. I was really just where I was. I um, I, I looked the part of a high school suburban stoner. I think I, I, I wore a necklace that had a giant mushroom on it and every shirt was tie dye or some sort of fish shirt. It was, it was a total look refused to get my haircut. Um, I was applying for colleges, but basically like I had my heart and mindset on going to the university of Montana. There was nothing anyone was going to do about that. I didn't care about any other schools. I was going for experience, man. Um, and sometime in August, 2002, I got back from like a camping trip and walked into my room and my mom had cut out a newspaper that said, fish is back. I've got it right up here on my, uh, cork board, right behind my computer. It says eager fans can catch fish on tour again. It's got a picture of Trey from the Rochester 97 show or no, sorry, from the great one. Cause he's got the hat on, um, and I just like freaked out. I lost my mind and um, spent the remainder of the fall listening to every fish show I felt like I needed to listen to um, before this band got back together. So I'd feel fully prepared when I saw them for the first time in February. Um, it was amazing. I was super excited, but I was also just um, kind of a, you know, a little suburban loser who didn't know much about the world and uh, was about to get his mind messed up about a year later when he finally went off to college. Um, so really, really excited to dive into this show. Um, Meg will be back here in one second before she gets back. I'm going to share. I didn't get to do this last week because my technology was all messed up. And um, I think RJ used that as an excuse not to let me go over pop culture. So I'm going to give you the pop culture breakdown for the week of uh, the end of August, 2002 television guys. It's really not that good. We've got uh, number five, American idol, the Tuesday edition. Number four, we got ER just holding strong from the nineties. Number three, we got Joe Millionaire, that like millionaire douchebag who is uh, hosting a bunch of women and is going to marry one of them. Just terrible, terrible stuff. Uh, number two, Friends, holding on from the 90s. Nothing good there. And number one, we got CSI, The Origins, Crime Scene Investigation. Music, we are in the hip-hop and R&B era. It has taken over. Number five, we got P. Diddy with Genuine, I Need a Girl Part 2. Number four, Mario's Just a Friend, the 2002 edition. Number three, we got a little bit of girl power, punk rock, Avril Lavigne's Complicated. Number two, Nelly getting hot in here. And number one, Nelly featuring Kelly Rowland, Dilemma, a song I just don't remember. Um, movies. A little bit better here, but also pretty awful. Number five, we got my big fat Greek wedding. Four, Spy Kids. Two, The Island of Lost Dreams. Three, Austin Powers in Gold Member. Two, 
triple X, the birth of Vin Diesel as a, um, superhero action figure, uh, kind of an actor, I guess. I don't know. I'm not really a fast and the furious kind of guy, but uh, maybe you are. And I don't want to offend you because Vin Diesel is really big and could probably crush my skull. Number one, a, um, pretty interesting M night Shyamalan movie signs to flesh out pop culture. Meg, don't worry. We're, we just went through all the awful <laughs> pop culture of late August, 2002. You didn't miss anything. And the fact that you were living in a cockroach infested apartment while <laughs> acting on the Lower East Side and working in a really cool restaurant was way more than what people were doing pop culture wise. Um, <laughs> can you tell us before we dive into the show a little bit about what was going on in the fish world in 2002? Yeah, absolutely. Well, in summer, this is, you know, it's a pretty big year for them because they're going to start meeting together and they're going to decide to get back together. And so they're going to start meeting at Trey's barn. They're going to start laying down the first tracks for Round Room. And um, Vita Blue is going to tour that summer. And then Trey is going to go on tour that fall. And they're going to have, um, they're going to release their November 1st performance as his first live solo album. Pork Tornado, Fishman's Band, is going to be doing their first national tour and releasing an album as well. And Mike is also going to release an album and tour with Leo Kotke. And he's also going to put out a movie called October Rising. So it's pretty cool because at one point, Trey, Mike, and Fishman are all touring at the same time with different bands, which is just wild. So much creativity from all of them. Right? There's just got a lot to say. So mid-October, Round Room's going to be finished, and they're going to actually release their first live concert DVD, which is going to be the September 30th, 2000 show. Trey's also going to be working on Plasma and release that in December. They are going to then appear on SNL in early December as kind of a press lead up for Round Room, and then they're going to start rehearsing for their return from hiatus on December 31st. And it's just pretty cool to think that they released their 10th studio album in that December and how it was originally going to be performed and recorded live at MSG on that New Year's Eve. But they decided to release the unedited rehearsal tracks that were recorded in the fall. And most of these songs were written by Trey and Tom. And I really want to talk to Tom about this because Trey says they have a big fight during this session. And Trey wrote like a lot of the really emotional lyrics on this album. And I think it's interesting because it kind of like also talks a lot about in a way inadvertently about what was going on with fish too as far as like those big feelings of like trust and rebuilding relationships and friendships and complicated kind of interpersonal relationships i think it's really cool so and you've also got two songs from mike on the album so it's a pretty big year for them it's a big year they record the victor disc uh yeah they were in manhattan one of my favorite releases that i would Oh, I would kill for that to be released I on know, right? Fish, give us, you know, a full mastering. I think it's some of the best jamming of that period. Round Room is my personal favorite Fish album. Um, is it really? I love, I love the way it's recorded. Wow. It's so raw. I love all those songs. They all sound like, I mean, those were all like my first new Fish songs. I knew everything up until yeah. that point. And then like, you know, Walls of the Cave was the first time I got a new fish song and I was a part of that whole thing. So I just, I love it. Um, I love how prominent Paige is. I love how kind of dead this sound is. It's, it's very, very raw. It doesn't sound like it's, it's been t- polished in any sort of way and it flows in a really cool way. I just, I'm, I'm super into it. But, um, so this show, 45 minutes of the podcast, we're going to finally talk about the <laughs> project. Um, it tracks. August 30th, 2002. This is from Mo, Mo Down at the Snow Ridge Ski Resort in Turin, New York. Um, this is a single set show. Al Shiner uh, from Mo sits in on keys for parts of it. Part of this festival featured Particle, Medeski, Martin & Wood, Galactic as well, which Galactic, Medeski, Martin & Wood in early 2000s are absolutely unbelievable stuff. A friend of mine saw Particle play like a 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. set at Bonnaroo 2003. And so it was one of the best concerts of his life. Um, oh my God, that's so intense. That's amazing. <laughs> just crazy, crazy stuff. But um, so I was really unfamiliar with Jazz Mandolin Project going into this. I didn't really know what to anticipate. Um, I ended up loving this set. Um, rather than like getting into this version versus that version, I mean, I have a few notes about the gems, but Tell me, Meg, what were kind of your overall impressions of the set and what were some of your highlights? I really loved how the set starts off 
very kind of like jazzy. And because of the mandolin, it almost has like like a, a folky feeling to it, in the, especially in the second sure, song. Yeah. Right? It's like this – I mean, he's incredible. Uh, Jamie Macefield is on the mandolin. But the way he's – it just has a different feel to the jazz, but then I love how it just kind of descends into this total psychedelic madness at the end. And I was listening to it and I didn't like Jonathan didn't tell us this is what happens. And so right. it was just like, <laughs> what's happening? And I kept like stopping and going back and like, like just really like wanting to pay closer attention to it because I felt like it just have like, it also just is really cool how like, they're building little peaks inside the jazz songs, which is so different from, you know, I listen to a fair amount of jazz and it's just, it doesn't have that kind of like, there's almost like a fish peak in a lot of these songs, which is like so different. And I don't know, maybe I don't know jazz well enough, but that struck me. No, I'm, I'm right there with you. Cause I'm just looking through my notes here. Um, uh, so in, Contois, the opener, I wrote at one point, um, four minutes, 35 seconds, there's a slowdown into a more groove jazz space. You can hear how this is the foundation of everything that makes Fishman so great in uh, in Fish Jams, uh, in Phoenicians, which was about 35 minutes, I think, in total on the track in that we got. Yeah. Um, I wrote that you can clearly hear how Fishman is complimented here, a jazz psych band that knows how to peak jams democratically. Like it sounds yeah. like it's up his, his alley, but it's not, it's not fish. Like you don't have that like tray forward. Like he is the leader. Jamie is clearly the leader of this band, but is, um, the mandolin doesn't have the power that Trey's guitar has. So like what Fishman's doing and what he colors in the background and what the stand-up bass is doing does so much to add sonically to this overall. Um, there were so many moments where like Fishman just completely locked in. There were a lot of moments where I felt like, I think this is because of the mandolin, obviously not the banjo, but it like gave us a sensation almost of like the fleck tones where it was just kind of like, yeah. it was jazz, but it was bluegrass, but it was also kind of funk and it was weird. It was just this weird amalgamation of sounds. Um, what you're talking about that like weird darkness is uh the templars into proust into templars that segment mm -hmm. which al shiner was in on on keys i mean you've got at 348 the bass takes over very weird grooves fish locks in to me it was very similar to summer 97 the mandolins playing these echoed rhythm guitar lines it's kind of creepy and dance heavy the groove breaks for open space around 7.20. Fish comes back with start, stop jamming. It becomes very, very trance heavy. Um, 17.30, you got this haunting texture that comes up behind the jam as it builds. Fish is insanely tight at this point in time. Yeah. I mean, this just really, really showcases his ability to completely alter away a jam a, a band jams and to hear him play this knowing that he knows fish is coming back together it almost led me thinking he's preparing for it but mm. also he gets a freedom here that he will not get with fish where they're going to have to play all these songs they're going to have to figure things out this was just kind of like a free plane for him in a really cool way and you can hear him like laughing throughout this set. Like he sounds super loose in that sense of like in the moment and just having a great time. And I agree though, he is just in this part, especially, I love how hypnotic it is. It's super drum and bass. It sounds like rave music. I guess they actually put out a drum and bass record, Jazz Mandolin Projected, which is oh, incredible. Yeah. So you can hear that like in this, how they can do that. And then it goes into like Jesu Joy of Man's Desire, which is just like they're quoting that, which is so cool. It's what I walked down the aisle to. It's what my mom walked down the aisle to. It's a beautiful song that they just kind of like plop in the middle of this and then take this like jam off of it, which is just so – such a kind of a, a mixture of like so many different kinds of music that they're making it work in this way that I just found was really exciting. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. and I think that the whole end of it is like the last song at the Pershing is like funky and darker and – I felt like the whole narrative arc of the set is beautiful. Like it's really well done. Like it's just starts off in that kind of like the first song is sultry almost. It has like 
the I think that song, what is that song called? Oh, Contois or whatever. And it's yeah. like effortless. And it has this like nice peaks and Fishman's like laughing at the end. And then Black Market is like more up-tempo, great groove. I was walking to work when I was listening to this and I was like, the sun was out and it was just my last week of work. And I was just like, fuck yeah, it was just really groovy and like just felt great. I love this song. And then the Phoenician song is that like, like you were saying, the washes of sound and you hear Fishman start playing these like super complicated rhythms and it has this feeling of like breaking down and the crowd's like going cheering and doing like the woos and then it's like is a journey that whole song it's like you said it's like 35 minutes and it's just it goes places it this is not like background jazz no and this is like <laughs> i don't know when this set is happening i'm guessing kind of midday just based on I'm curious. their billing. Um, but I have no idea, but it sounds to me like you show up at a festival set and you get first and foremost, like just really solid, um, like initially great background festival music. But then to mm-hmm. your point, you're just like, okay, I need to pay attention to this and whatever, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, like you're at a festival sometimes and like, it's really nice to like be watching a band, but like still have conversations with your friends and like the band mm-hmm. is kind of background and they're just a part of it. And then the band starts playing something. You're like, okay, time to shut up. All <laughs> yeah. conversations we're having is are off. This is what I'm all about. And this to me just like completely consumed me. And I, I got to a point where, you know, with this series, oftentimes I'll be listening to the show that we're doing while I'm doing something else. And if something yeah, really like same. catches me off guard, like I write down a few notes just so I have it. Um, you know, certain things like when we did the Bozeman tweezer, I was like, okay, Everything else is off. I'm just listening to this and writing down my <laughs> notes of this gem. I felt like I couldn't do anything while I was listening to this because I just had to document like minute by minute what was going on because there was so much changing. I mean, just looking at my notes for Phoenicians, like there's not like three or four minutes that goes by where I'm not like, okay, something changed here and what is this, what is happening? What does this mean? Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of creativity, a lot of exploration, a lot of democratic playing. And I ultimately found... My biggest takeaway from listening to this, because I was so unfamiliar with this band and because, you know, going into 2002, I was like, we got to do Tab. Like, Summer Tab is some of the best tray that we've ever heard. This, to me, showed me what was so different about the hiatus from the breakup after Coventry, which I want to, I'd love to transition and talk with you about. Like, the hiatus to me felt like a this is a time to reset and see what else we can do so that we don't get creatively stuck in a rut so that yeah. we as musicians, we as artists um, can stay fresh, can allow ourselves the opportunity to um, continue to explore ourselves and learn about ourselves. These guys are only 34, 35 at the time. Like they're still relatively young dudes. Whereas the post Coventry breakup, there were so many bad, there was so much bad feeling and so many, so much Mm -hmm. bad vibes and so much negativity and anger and accusations that came out of that period that I felt like a lot of what, I mean, Mike was really creative. Paige made some really great music um, in the years afterwards, but it wasn't like the hiatus where it was just like, okay, Paige is doing Vita Blue and he's totally into it. Fishman's playing jazz mandolin and he's totally into it. Mike's playing with Kotke. He's totally into it. Trey playing with Tab, totally into it. They don't really need Fish. They're like, they're fulfilling everything by themselves. And then when they came back and 2.0 turns into what it turns into, the stuff immediately afterwards wasn't nearly as fresh and inspired as this because it just felt like the band really went through something difficult. I don't know. Do you, do you share that sentiment? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think they sound super inspired and to hear how much they were like touring with their other bands and putting out albums and, and putting, I mean, they're doing all that while they're writing round room or putting out round room, you know? So like totally. they're really, and then they're doing like press for fish and they're, you know, yeah. Recording like that story of how they recorded the Victor disc is like so amazing how they're like at Lennerman, they play the show on the street on top of the marquee. Right. And then Paige and Trey go to a studio at like 11 o'clock at night and they play for like an hour and then they call Gordon and Fishman are like, you need to come here and we need to like play and we're going to record it all. Like that is, that's like bursting out. 
So I think that that's totally true. And yeah, I think the height, the the breakup is just a totally different experience. Like I think also things had escalated, right? Like Trey's, right. you know, Trey's issues only got worse. Yeah. Yeah. And all that ultimately it clouds that period and it leads, mm-hmm. you know, to, it's going to be interesting when we get to like 05 and 06, especially because the selections, you know, Fishman's doing stuff with the, with the duo, which is really cool. Um, Paige isn't doing a ton during those years. Um, Trey's 05 output. I'm not really a fan of his 06 output is really cool with the deck tat. Um, and then mm. 07, <clears throat> it's not until later in the year that we start to get Trey reemerging um, and and really showcasing, you know, his 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 reborn, renewed uh, outlook. And 2008 is obviously filled with a lot more positivity and a lot more good vibes before Fish comes back. But this kind of feels like kind of the dream that they had when they decided to go on hiatus. You know, yeah. 2002 kind of feels like the dream of a band that. We talked about it during the 2000 episode where most bands take like two years off, you know? Yeah, it, It's normally, just the yeah. fact that Fish plays live that like we expect a tour, multiple tours every year. Um, but it feels like they had the freedom to breathe outside of each other. And as a result, you get shows like this where Fishman has zero pressure. Nobody is... You know, I mean, people now know that Fish is coming back at this show, but nobody is going to a Jazz Mandolin Project show and saying, you got to play Tube or you got to do this. <laughs> like, they're just letting him explore and be himself. And you got that a lot on the Trey Summer Tour. You got that a lot with um, the Vita Blue shows. And it ultimately leads to just a lot of creativity that will be very different in four years' time. Yeah, and you saw Trey in 2002, right, that summer? I saw him June 6th uh, at the UIC Pavilion, um, one of the greatest concerts of my entire life. Yeah, so he was alive. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, that tour, all those shows are on Relisten. I I recommend Mm -hmm. anyone out there just going through them. And um, you don't have to listen to everything. I mean, you can, but like cherry pick some big jams. Um, That show, it was very different from when I saw him in 2001, which a lot of those songs were evolving for the first time and, and coming into their own. So you got big jams in like last two burlap sack and pumps, but um, it felt more songy in a way that in 2001, I really, really liked. And so I went into 2002, that show thinking we're going to get something similar and no, he opens with a 25 minute push on till the day. He closes the oh first set with a 25 minute money, love and change opens the second set with a 41 minute last tube and closes the second set with a 36 minute Mr. Completely. It was just like the dude was in command of the band he had. And this is when Russell Remington is still in the band. This is when mm. Dave Tree Grippo is still in the band. Um, Ciro had just joined the, the band is, playing at a level that Trey was used to playing with, with fish Mm -hmm. and he was pushing them like they were fish, but his fish, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so it was high energy, high octane all the time. And then he closes with, he played acoustic guitar to play chalk dust, Wilson chalk dust, and then brought the band on to play alive again with stash teases for someone like myself who had never seen fish getting these fish moments in the UIC pavilion was really, really special. Um, Trey definitely seemed like, I mean, he was having a lot of fun like that, that summer he went very hard and, and was just all, all, I mean, you should just watch the Bonnaroo 2002 video. It's up on YouTube. Um, he's just, he's, he's probably sleeping three hours a night and (laughs) just playing some of the most relentless music you are literally ever going to hear your entire life. I haven't listened to that show, the show that you were at, in a really long time. I need to cue that up. It is it is something else. I might have to listen to it again. It is something else. Yeah, I feel like that's the one of the greatest things about this 40 for 40 project is like remembering these shows that I haven't listened to in so long and like playing them again. And it's just – it's been so awesome. 
it's been a lot of fun and yeah. we will be, we will come back with fish next week, um, which is exciting. We were back, we were into 2003. Um, and then we have a special 2004 episode. Um, I'm mm, actually yeah. going to be out of town. I picked the 2004 episode and I demanded I be a, in attendance for the 2004 episode because we need a 2004 defender. So we've already pre-recorded that episode. We will put that out for you in two weeks. But um, oh, it's a great conversation too. I'm really excited is. for people to hear that. Mm-hmm. We went, we went, we went deep. We did go deep. Um, and you know, this Brian has been so awesome because this has reminded me of last summer when we spent so much time just you and me talking about all these shows. From just summer tour last year. Just, just diving, diving in. Those. Yeah. Which we're so, going to do something yeah. uh, like yeah. that this year. We're going to, I don't know exactly if we're going to do quick hits or if we're going to do weekly recaps. We have not decided this yet, but we are going to do something. Um, anything else you want to say about uh, Jazz Mando? No, but I might seek out some more of it. It's pretty cool. I am too. I'm going to yeah. look for these long jams because I really dug them and I'm going to, I'm going to dive into it. I, I sent... My buddy uh, Josh, I was a screenshot of what I was listening to, and I was like, "This isn't half bad, and it's actually pretty good." And he was like, <laughs> "Dude, I got Rex, so I'm I'm pretty excited." Oh no way! Nice. Okay, yeah. maybe you can share yeah. him with me. I'll do that. And uh, everyone out there, thanks for hanging with us. If it's not one of us with tech issues, it's another one. And um, hopefully, you know, Xfinity. Hey, man. All we're doing is just podcasting about fish. Like, just give us, you know, the it's so uh, important. Give us the keys to the interwebs. Come on. Um, But we will be back next week uh, to talk about a very special 2003 show. Until then, hope you all have a great weekend and we will see you on the other side. Thanks, everyone. everyone i'm hal schwartz and i'm flynn mcclain together we host none but the brave a podcast dedicated to the music and career of bruce springsteen bruce and e street band are on tour right now for the first time in six years and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes we've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests including rock journalist warren zanes and stephen hyden backstreet's magazine founder charles cross and barstool's kirk menahan if you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you! Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.